Thank you so much and good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update live in the ACB community. Thank you everyone who's joining on Zoom as well as all of our listeners on the ACB Media Network. Uh, I'd like to start off by giving a, a big congratulations uh, for the ACB community as we approach the second anniversary. Um, what a, a great opportunity for folks to remain connected, build relationships, network, um, and, and be part of a community as we have all been socially distant and isolated during the, the COVID-19 pandemic over the last few years. And how fortunate are we to have uh, accessible technology that has allowed this community to flourish and certainly ensuring all online technology is accessible was part of the conversation that we had here last night and the need for a website and applications accessibility act. I'd like to thank everyone for joining, joining me. I'm your host tonight, Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind for our fourth in our series of four uh, community events on this year's legislative imperatives. Our legislative imperatives are the policy issues that our members and ACB affiliates will share with our elected officials in the House of Representatives and in the United States Senate during and following the DC Leadership Conference. For those who have not attended before, the ACB DC Leadership Conference is an opportunity for our, uh, the presidents and the leaders of our ACB affiliates to meet and collaborate and discuss ways to strengthen our affiliates. Uh, this year, the leadership conference will take place on Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. The first two days will be the president's affiliates meetings where our affiliate leaders uh, will have meetings and conversations about membership growth, marketing, uh, financials, and all other aspects on how we can create stronger affiliates, serve our members, and uh, grow the influence of ACB at the, uh, the state level, the local chapter level, and, and in our special interest affiliates as well. The final two days of the leadership conference will be the legislative seminar. And that is the opportunity for me and my colleague, ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist, Swathananda Kumar. Um, that's our opportunity to shine because the programming will be focused on public policy, government affairs, advocacy, not only at the national or federal level, 
uh, but at the state and local level as well. So we're excited to have many guest speakers from government, from our corporate partners, uh, as well as the, the nonprofit uh, civil rights and disability advocacy arena. So please, this year, the leadership conference will be virtual. Uh, so no in-person attendance. So no matter where you are, you are able to join the DC Leadership Conference. Uh, registration is now open. Registration is available by visiting the ACB website at acb.org. It's $20 for ACB members, uh, $30 uh, for folks who are not members. So please join us this year. It'll be a great opportunity to learn and connect and to collaborate uh, with folks who are interested in advancing policy uh, issues related to our community and our members of people who are blind and experiencing vision loss. As I stated earlier, this is our fourth of four community events on this year's legislative imperatives. Last night, we held an event uh, promoting the website and, and Applications Accessibility Act. This bill has not been introduced yet, um, but we are working hard to build support among the disability community so this legislation can be introduced. And when meeting with your members of Congress, please urge them to support the creation of a uniform national framework for website and online accessibility and once introduced to co-sponsor and support the website and application accessibility act we started this week's series of community events uh, with a a legislative imperative brought back from last year and that is the exercise and fitness for all act this bill has been introduced in the 117th Congress. It was introduced last year. The bill number in the Senate is S2504. And the bill was introduced by Senator Duckworth from Illinois and is co-sponsored by Senators Feinstein, Casey, and Blumenthal, all Democrats in the Senate. However, this is a bipartisan bill in the House of Representatives. Um, the bill is or was introduced by Representatives DeSaulnier from California, a Democrat, and Representative Young from Alaska, a Republican. The, the other co-sponsor of this bill in the House of Representatives is Representative Titus from Nevada. So uh, everything we can do to raise the profile of this legislation, share with our members of Congress how important it is for us to have equal access to exercise and fit, fitness equipment so that we can take charge of our health, uh, live independently and as active members of our community. Um, that, that is the goal of the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. Our other legislative imperative that we discussed earlier this week goes hand in hand with 
the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, which you know wants to uh, create access to exercise and fitness equipment so we can live healthy lifestyles and prevent the onset of chronic um, health conditions. Our other legislative imperative is the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And that is a bill that would help us uh, manage our health conditions if we are uh, faced with the onset of chronic or comorbid health conditions, whether that's due to living sedentary lifestyles um, or just uh, being genetically predisposed. It is likely that we will, we will all encounter some form of chronic health conditions during our lives. And we want to make sure ACB and our partners in the disability community, we want to make sure that we have the tools and resources accessible and available to us so that we can manage our own health privately and independently, just like everyone else. And that the onset of these conditions does not result in us uh, being placed in long-term care or assisted living solely for the fact that the, the management tools that the rest of the population can take advantage of are inaccessible to us. So the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act has been introduced in the House of Representatives. The bill number is HR 4853. It was originally introduced by Representative Schakowsky from Illinois. There's uh, over 18 co-sponsors to this legislation, and it is a bipartisan piece of legislation. Uh, Representative Butler from Washington State, a Republican, has co-sponsored co this legislation as well. So in the, when speaking with our representatives in Congress and the House of Representatives, we want to encourage them to co-sponsor and support the Bipartisan Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, H.R. 4853. And when speaking with our senators, we want to urge them to support the introduction of a companion bill to HR 4853. And then once that companion bill is introduced, then we want everyone to co-sponsor the Senate companion bill to the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And that brings us to tonight. Um, so tonight we are talking about our fourth legislative imperative, and that is an update to the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Uh, this is a, an interesting, interesting topic, an interesting item for me to be, uh, just on a personal level, to be involved with and engaged with, because it was the advocacy work of the American Council of the Blind as part of the Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, or COAT, 
back in uh, the early 2000s. So 2007 through 2010 that I was first introduced to ACB. At the time, I was uh, starting my career as an intern in public policy with Verizon Communications, the the uh, phone company, the wireless uh, cell phone provider, and ACB and other disability rights organizations as part of COAT were negotiating with the 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 phone and wireless phone companies to introduce the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act that was passed into law by uh, President Obama in 2010. But think about the world in 2010. Um, this was when we had 3G wireless networks. Um, you know, smartphones were starting to gain in popularity. Um, however, in, in 2009, the first accessible smartphone was introduced. That's when Apple introduced voiceover to the either the iPhone, I believe it was the iPhone 3GS. So up until that point, smartphone, smartphones were just uh, glass coasters, right? Yeah, you know, no buttons to press, no verbal output. But the Apple showed that that was possible in 2009, and the Communications Video Accessibility Act, or CVAA, uh, made that the a requirement for phones, both uh, landline and wireless phones, in 2010. Another thing that the CVAA did was it re-implemented or reconstituted the Federal Communication Commission's regulations for audio description. As, as we all know, audio description is the uh, spoken, um, the spoken descriptions or narration in the pauses of dialogue of video programming. Um, basically to, to make the visual verbal. Um, so it helps fill in the gaps of what is spoken so that people who are blind, folks who are low vision, can hear through narration what is happening visually on screen. In 2010, this was a groundbreaking and landmark legislation because there were no requirements for audio description. Um, and at this point, this law, the CVAA, placed requirements on the four main broadcasters as well as the top five cable programmers. Uh, for the broadcasters, these requirements were in place in the top 60, 60, uh, broadcast markets, basically the, the 60 largest cities or media markets in the country. Um, so not available for everyone in the United States, just those who live in or near the, the 60 largest media markets. 
so they're already we're already starting to notice there are some limitations to these requirements and regulations, right? Um, since the requirement of the top 60 within the last two years, the Federal Communications Commission has uh, undertaken a rulemaking and required the expansion of broadcast markets, but at 10 markets per year. Um, so in 2021, we went from the top 60 markets to the top 70. And then in 2022, the requirement is now for the top 80 broadcast markets to pass through audio description. Uh, these requirements will be in place until 2024 when we reach the top 100 markets. And I know 100 sounds like a lot, but there are over 200 media markets throughout the United States. And if we progress at 10 markets a year, it will be another 10 plus years before the vast majority of the country is covered with the, the requirements to pass through audio description. Also, uh, this, the CVAA has reached the limit of, or at least the, the Federal Communications Commission has reached the regulatory limit of what they may require to be audio described at 87 and a half hours per quarter. Uh, a quarter being three months, roughly 12 weeks, seven days in a week gets you to, oh, I was told, told there would be no math. That's why I went into public policy to avoid math. Um, but roughly 84 days for 87 and a half hours of programming. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because that's roughly an hour a day. A little more than an hour of day is all that's required to be audio described for children's programming, for primetime content, one hour per day. We all know that there's more than one hour per day, and we think that all content should be audio described. And certainly, uh, we would like audio description to be on the same level in parody as closed captioning for our peers who are deaf or hard of hearing. And we think that the combination of closed captioning and audio description are critical for our members and the, those in the broader community who are deafblind and can benefit from both technologies. Uh, so those are some of the limitations of audio description in the, the, or the, the current CVA requirements in the broadcast and cable markets. Um, but also since 2010, we've seen a huge shift towards the delivery of online video content and programming. You know, it, it was not until 2013 that Netflix launched their first uh, streaming show or program. Everyone might remember House of Cards. Well, that, that was direct to streaming on Netflix in 2013 for the first season. So already three years since the CVAA came into law, uh, there was now a there was now the availability 
of new content and new programming available online through streaming services. But interesting thing about the Communications Video Accessibility Act and the audio description requirements, they do not extend to the online and streaming environment. So that is, that is one major aspect of the law that we are that we are seeking to change. Another aspect is that we need to be able to interact with these streaming services to engage the audio description, to be able to choose to navigate the menus and choose the programming that we would like to like to watch. So we need an update to the law and regulation to have accessible user interfaces for online video services. There's some level of requirements in place, especially when the video players are uh, embedded in control devices, but this needs to be broadened and it needs to be expanded. So for all of these reasons, we are seeking a communications and video accessibility Amendments Act. So in 2010, we had the CVAA, the CVAA, and now here in 2022, we are seeking a CVAAA, or Communications Video Accessibility Amendments Act. This CVAAA would require that all video content is audio described. So all content appearing on the broadcast networks, all content appearing on cable, all content, video content made available on online video services or streaming services. Um, if, a con if content is uh, you know, recorded in advance, it would have to air with audio description. If content was live programming, it would need to be made available immediately after the fact with audio description. You know, sometimes there are logistical reasons why you can't have uh, audio description for live content, but once that live content is archived and available to be shown again, it must be audio described. So for all intents and purposes, uh, if there is video content out there, it has to be audio described. Another aspect of this law is that many of us know the current landscape where you see a show on TV, then you see it again, you see a show on TV with audio description, and then maybe a week or a month later, you see it on cable uh, on a different channel or, or network, and it's not audio described. But then you go into video on demand, and it is audio described. But then you go to your favorite streaming service, and it doesn't have audio description. And this is a very confusing landscape for video consumers. Um, and basically, if a show is audio described, it, it should be available everywhere with audio description. So we want to make sure that the audio description that is created with a show follows the show no matter where it's made available, just like it does with closed captioning. Um, so the two are coupled, they're linked together, and that, that way it avoids the confusion, the expectation of our members and of our consumers is that we don't care where we watch a show, 
we want to be able to watch it. We want to be able to understand it. And therefore, audio description must be made available. We also want to make sure that the uh, accessible user interface requirements extend to online video providers so that we can select the shows that we want. We can navigate the menus and we can access the audio description. We want to make sure that the networks, the broadcasters, the cable programmers, that they have available uh, the program guides and accurate listings of audio description. And if we are encountering problems with activating the audio description, we wanna make sure that there are resources available to us. So just like the broadcast networks and cable providers have points of contact for closed captioning, for deaf and hard of hearing consumers, we wanna make sure that there is a point of contact to handle audio description uh, related issues and complaints. Um, another aspect, the final aspect of the uh, Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act relevant to ACB and our members is that the, the Federal Communications Commission has a undefined rulemaking um, I like to call it just a, a big old matzo ball hanging out there. Um, and that's the, the term of interoperable video communication services. So the FCC has regulations in place for advanced communication services. And that ensures that text, text messaging or text communications, so text messaging, um, direct messages, email, that those sorts of communications are accessible. The FCC also has regulations that phone calls, cell phone calls, um, you know, using audio apps on over the internet, that those audio, that those audible, verbal, audio, communication services are accessible. But the FCC has not promulgated regulations for video communications services. So the CVAAA, Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act, would tell the FCC uh, and give the FCC a timeline to finalize their rulemaking for the accessibility of video communications services. Now, I know we're all here on Zoom right now, um, but Zoom, Zoom has been great for ACB and the ACB community. It has been more difficult over the past few years for people who are deaf, hard of hearing, and deaf, deaf blind. And there are other video communication services out there that are more difficult for people with disabilities to interact with. And certainly if we're talking about the education space, um, employment space, or the telehealth and healthcare, online healthcare space, there are 
video communication services uh, with varying degrees of inaccessibility that it, it could not be more critical for the FCC to finalize this rulemaking and put in place requirements for the accessibility of video communications services. So in summary, our fourth legislative imperative and what we're going to tell Congress to do is to support the introduction and to co-sponsor once introduced the Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. Unfortunately, this bill is not introduced yet, but once it is, we want members of Congress to co-sponsor it and the CVAAA will expand access to audio description uh, for broadcast, cable, and online video providers. It will require accessibility for the user interfaces of online video providers and it will require the FCC uh, to promulgate regulations for the accessibility of video communications services. So this is why we need a Communications Video Accessibility Amendments Act to build upon uh, the great work that was done in 2010 and the legacy of leadership that ACB has built over the past 10 years. Sheila. Hi, Clark. I wanted to just add something to what you said, and I think this is very important for people to understand. When you're talking with your LA, ask them if they've been to a restaurant or been to a bar and had cocktails or dinner, and they've been able to see what was going on because of captioning on the TV and just tell them that that's what you would like to be able to do 24 seven in your home and just make it personal, make it more, you know, have you done this? Well, we would like to do it too. So just, you know, just a little tip. Sheila, that's a great point because um, the closed captioning is used so frequently by people who are not deaf or hard of hearing. Mm -hmm. They're because, because there are circumstances where it is convenient, it mm -hmm. is useful. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of times uh, folks re refer to the, the curb cut effect, right? Like mm -hmm. where the curb cuts and the ramps placed in sidewalks at intersections don't only benefit people in wheelchairs, but it benefits uh, parents with strollers, kids uh -huh. with wagons. Um, it benefits the delivery driver who's uh, putting something on a dolly. Right. So closed captioning is also often referred to as a, a digital curb cut because folks while in a bar or a restaurant are able to watch TV and follow what's happening because the words are on the screen. Right. Or if you're, if you're at home and family members are sleeping, you can have closed captioning on and still follow a programming. Mm -hmm. Or if you're learning a foreign language, you can put closed captioning on in a different language or have the 
audio in a different language with English subtitles uh, to help. So it's, it's very beneficial. And often uh, we hear about similar experiences with the use of audio description. Mm-hmm. I know personally, my wife loves audio description because she can be doing stuff at the house or looking at her computer or phone and still follow a program while not watching the screen. Exactly. Or if it's a complicated show, uh, audio description helps her remember all the characters' names <laughs> and follow the programming. <laughs> so there's there's many uses. Or you can for. you could listen to it and you can be cooking in the kitchen. Exactly. And, yep. So there are there are many uses for closed captioning and audio description. Uh, And we want to make sure that everyone's able to take advantage of the service, that it's available for all programming, and especially regardless of where you live in the United States, you should have audio description available to you. It is, it's no added burden to broadcasters because it uses the same technology as accessible emergency alerts, which they are all already required to have. And, you know, and I mean, one hour a week is bull. That's just crazy. (laughs) You know, I'm sorry, but normal people watch TV more than that. And the crawler crawler. living in Florida, the crawler that goes across the bottom, wondering what the weather alert is, is still normally i mean i've i have service that isn't accessible so i don't know what the weather's doing so these are these are important things that we all need to point out to whomever we're speaking with so thank you clark and thank you for what you're doing thank you sheila sharon hi everyone thank you so much clark this was really an excellent summary and i have been shocked that we're not even at half of the markets in the United States, right? Uh, for audio description. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I was thinking about though, and I don't know a whole lot about this is these QR codes um, that are getting to be everywhere uh, for vaccination, for all kinds of things. Do they fit into this um, CV AAA, would you say? So, so Sharon, you're talking about, um, when you're watching TV or you're watching the news and they say scan the QR code yeah, uh, for more information. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that I am not sure. Um, But that is, that is a good question for me to take back to our team. Um, I guess if that was to be made accessible, what, what are some of your thoughts on, on how we would do that? I really don't know. I haven't experienced it. I just keep hearing about it on TV. And also, as I mentioned, with with regard to uh, a QR code on your phone for vaccination, um, showing that you've been vaccinated, I currently show a physical card, but I guess yeah. there's more ways to, um, to do that, you know, the, on your phone. So I, I don't know where that would fit, but I have a sense that we're going to be having more of it in different contexts. And the other thing that I was thinking about, and this just happened to me today, you were mentioning um, text messaging being um, 
accessible. Well, I got a text today that turned out to be an ad, but it was totally just a picture. It said image. And I, I had somebody look at it and it was something about a cashback or, you know, uh-huh. I don't know. It was, it was a scam probably, but be that as it may, that was the first time I've had no words in a text. So the, the requirements for um, accessible text messaging means that the, the service has to be accessible. Um, but when, when you have somebody spamming you in this case with, yep. with an image, the, yep. the service itself has the capability of being accessible. It's just whomever sent you that message chose to okay. do it in an inaccessible format. Uh, I got um, it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and honestly, you're, you're probably lucky that they, they did send it as an image, right? Just because it was, it was spam. Um, your question about QR codes is interesting because really QR codes are just a, a shortcut to get to a website. Um, so when they appear on TV, um, what, what they're intending you to do is hold your camera up so that your camera on your smartphone can uh, see the QR code, read it, oh, and then okay. take, you, take you to the website oh, where the information okay. is available. Um, so it, another way to do that would be to just go directly to the website, you know, yourself. Um, with COVID testing, in addition to having the paper card, there are apps out there um, like the, the Clear, C-L-E-A-R app, where you can store your COVID vaccination information and then have that available on your smart device electronically. Though that would fall more into the what we're trying to do with our website and yeah. applications accessibility act. Okay. Um, yeah. More so than the um, communications and video accessibility amendments act, but okay. all very valid uh, examples of why technology and communications needs to be made accessible. Right. Thank you. My final thought um, about audio description is how in the world do we finance every single show to be audio described? Uh, That just seems really hard to fathom. You know, it's, uh, (laughs) that's not our concern. Um, I I guess, right. That's okay. (laughs) You know, um, these these broadcast companies, these cable companies have billions and millions of dollars. Um, okay. And it is a it is a small price to pay to make their service more accessible so that they can reach a broader audience um, with their programming. OK, thank you very much, Clark. Great job. And I'm sure you'll be ready for a little time off tomorrow. Right. absolutely thank you thank you okay up next we have phil jones well good evening everybody and clark i think you pretty much said it uh best about audio description you know it's very interesting i we can i really believe we can get along go a long way from things that we're asking for including audio description that we can convince the general public that these uh, things, many of uh, what we're asking for, they can benefit from it too. I know that uh, 
years ago, I was very interested in learning that uh, from Jim Stovall at the Narrative Television Network that 60% of their viewing audience were people who could see. And my uh, sighted brother-in-law said that he had seen a, a movie with audio description and he thoroughly enjoyed it. And of course, we can tell our legislators, and I'm sure many of them are taking advantage of the uh, billion dollar audio book industry. So, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, there's just so many arguments for audio description. And after all, when you think about in the early days of television, people used to watch radio with pictures. So it, uh, so there's just, I mean, there's so many positive arguments. And as far as the, uh, you're right about the fact that these cable companies and these TV networks, they've got billions upon billions upon billions and they can afford it. So we should have it all the time. <laughs> That's right. And certainly it's already there for closed captioning, right? Uh, so the visually impaired, the, the blind audience, uh, if nothing else, we, we should have the same level of access as our peers and the deaf and hard of hearing community. Uh, but more, more than that, like you're saying, we should have the same level of access as everyone else. And it's a technology that will, that will benefit more people than just those with vision loss. So thank you so much. Well, I'll, I'll give one final summary here. I, I'm not going to press the issue on a Friday night to see if there are any more hands, but if, uh, if there are more hands while I'm giving this summary, I'm happy to answer any additional questions. So our, our final legislative imperative is a Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. People who are blind, people who are low vision, we don't care where or how we watch video programming. We expect that video programming to have audio description. Um, it should be available. It should be accessible to us. Audio description is a technology that benefits the broader public more so than simply people who are blind and low vision but it is critical for us to have equal access to video content and video programming. Not only must this be extended in the, you know, over the air broadcast uh, television in media markets, but the audio description requirements must be updated for the online and over the internet video content. In addition to online video content having audio description, the video user interfaces of these online players must be accessible so that we can navigate the menus, navigate the player controls, and activate the audio description. And then uh, finally, uh, video communication services video conferencing services, educational and healthcare video uh, portals and services must be made accessible to people who are blind and people who are low vision. And for these reasons, we are telling Congress to support the introduction of a Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on a, a Friday night. And as we say at the end of every advocacy update, keep advocating. <laughs>